0: Welcome back to the Dirt show. I'm going to have breaking news in a minute that you will hear nowhere else but but here, but I'm going to start out with a song. I think I am. All right, I'm going to have to sing it myself. If any of you remember Pajama Game, there's a great song. I figured it out. I figured it out. With a pencil and a pen, I figured it out. I did it. I figured out why the Justice Department didn't subpoena the classified documents they claim that President, former President Trump has in Mar-a-Lago. Why they went for a search warrant instead of a subpoena. A little bit of background. Generally, when you want documents, you subpoena them. You send a subpoena to the lawyer. You say, I want these documents, that document, documents in this drawer, documents in that drawer, any document that's classified, any document, et cetera. And the lawyer uh, will will often uh, turn over the documents. Here's the issue, and I'm sure I'm right about this. This is based on 60 years of experience in dealing with issues like this. It's a very complicated matter. And I I hope you will follow me because it's correct. If the Justice Department had said to Trump's lawyers, we want you to produce this piece of classified material, Trump's lawyers could respond by saying, no, we have a right not to produce this material. You may have a right to have the material because the Fifth Amendment doesn't apply to things that have already been written. If they find a note I just killed somebody. That's not protected by the Fifth Amendment. It used to be under the old law, but it's not protected by the Fifth Amendment. But if they subpoena from me a note and I hand that note over to the Justice Department, then the fact that I hand it over the note could be used in evidence. And that's particularly so in a case involving either contraband, drugs, or uh, classified material. So if Trump were to respond to a subpoena that said, hand over classified material or hand over a document that was written on January 7th, 2018, he would be incriminating himself. It's called production incrimination. It means that the document itself is not privileged, but the act of handing over the document is privileged. And so Trump's lawyers would say, no, we have a right not to hand over that document. You may have a right to the document, but you don't have a right to have me hand it over to you and then use that in court as evidence that I possessed it, had it in my possession. If I didn't have it in my possession, it couldn't be turned over. So the Justice Department has a way around that. It's called production immunity. That is, they say to me... You have to produce this. We're entitled to have it. But you have immunity from us using the fact that you produced it. And so at a trial, the document can be given to the jury, but the jury can't be told that it was you who produced it. Very technical. How many angels can dance on the head of a pen? But the Supreme Court has ruled that there's a difference between the document itself, the content of which is not protected by the Fifth Amendment, and the act of production, the act of producing the document, which is protected by the Fifth Amendment. That hasn't always been the case. In the famous case of Aaron Burr, who was being tried for treason in front of an obscure judge named John Marshall, who was then the Chief Justice of the United States, um, a subpoena was issued for material that Aaron Burr had. Aaron Burr said, no, I'm not turning over this material. It's self-incriminating. And the Supreme Court, in an opinion written by Justice Marshall, he just wrote wrote it for himself, not for the Supreme Court. He wrote an opinion saying that the Fifth Amendment protects because the content of the material is incriminating. That has been overruled in subsequent years. The uh, Supreme Court, in an opinion by Justice Holmes, said he's already written it. So the fact that we get it is not self-incrimination, but the act of producing it is self-incrimination. There's a way around it, as I said. You give the person immunity, and then he has to produce it, but you can't use the fact that he produced it. Now, obviously, the Justice Department did not want to give Trump and his lawyers production immunity. If you simply go in and seize it, There's no Fifth Amendment right because the paper itself isn't covered by the Fifth Amendment right. And there's no production. He was a thousand miles away. The jury can't be told that Trump gave it to us. No, we seized it. So there's no Fifth Amendment there at all. There's no reason to give immunity. Now, everybody will know if they seize incriminating material in Mar-a-Lago that it was possessed by Trump. So the distinction is an extremely, extremely uh, abstract one, one that has no impact on jury verdicts or jury deliberations, but it may very well have been what motivated the Justice Department to not issue a subpoena, which could have been resisted on production, self-incrimination grounds, and instead simply going in and taking it. Now, how could they do that? They did it because they almost certainly had probable cause, which is what the Fourth Amendment requires, probable cause for searching for classified material in his home. And once you have probable cause for searching for material in his home, then you can get a search warrant and then you can seize the material, thus circumventing the Fifth Amendment. But you can do more. You can seize anything that's in plain view, even if it's not a subject of The search warrant. So if the search warrant says only material dealing with classification, but you see a document that's entitled January 6th and it's in plain view, you can seize that even though it was not part of either the search warrant or the affidavit in support of the search warrant. So there are tremendous advantages. In having a search warrant over having a subpoena. First of all, lawyers aren't involved in a search warrant. You'll remember that the lawyers weren't even allowed to go into the House to supervise the search. I think they should be, and the cases on that are not particularly clear whether the Justice Department and the FBI have a right to throw a lawyer out when they're searching, but they do, they throw them out. And so no lawyers involved, whereas the subpoena, the subpoena is actually sent to the lawyer. And it's the lawyer who produces it on behalf of the client. I've had a lot of material of mine subpoenaed uh, in the lawsuit I have against CNN and the lawsuit I have against the woman who falsely accused me. And so my lawyers have turned over a lot of my, I'm not invoking the fifth because I have nothing to hide, would never invoke the fifth in a million years. Um, But I have nothing to hide. Uh, I didn't do anything wrong. I have nothing in my possession that would be in any way incriminating. So I haven't claimed the fifth and wouldn't claim the fifth. But if you think about the Trump situation, you'll now understand why the Justice Department claims it has a reason. They're going to claim this as a justification, even though it's angels on the head of a pen. They're going to claim it as a justification. That makes their job easier. It makes it easier for Merrick Garland to say, oh, gee, you know, there is a justification. It may not be a particularly good one, but it, it's at least there it will help my former students who are in the Justice Department and want to think they're acting ethically to say, yeah, you know, we're circumventing the Fifth Amendment, but it's lawful. And the courts will probably uphold it. It will probably win in the court of law. Will it win in the court of public opinion? That's the question. Um, I think many Americans, uh, including Democrats, I'm not talking about Larry Tribe type Uh, Democrats who don't care about the Constitution and for whom anything goes as long as you're getting Donald Trump. I'm talking about reasonable, rational um, um, Democrats who care about the rule of law, care about the Constitution. Many are very upset at this, and they're not going to be persuaded by the angels on the head of a pen type analysis, the difference between the document itself not being self-incriminating and the production of the document being self-incriminating they're not going to be satisfied with that. And so I I don't know in the end if this will help or hurt uh, Trump's chances of being nominated for an elected president. I would bet, don't have any data on this, there haven't been polls as far as I know yet, but I would bet that there were a lot of moderate Republicans, I'm a moderate Democrat, but moderate Republicans who will say to themselves, you know, I, I don't like Trump, I wasn't planning to vote for him, but this is terrible what's going on. These seizures, with, with, you know, the arrest of uh, Manafort, the arrest of uh, Navarro, the arrest of uh, all those guys who were put in handcuffs and shackles and sent to prison, they didn't do that to the Democrats. Hillary Clinton, she had classified material. Sandy Berger, he had classified material. Berger was fine, and Hillary Clinton, legally nothing happened to her. She was deprived of being president, largely as the result, I think, of... The head of the FBI's statements, which were inappropriate about the evidence against against her, but nothing legally was ever done against her. And I don't want anything legally to be done against her or against the late Sandy Berger. I'm not in favor of equalizing the justice system by prosecuting everybody. I'm in favor of equalizing the justice system by not prosecuting people on political crimes. Anybody, whether the Democrats or Republicans, I don't draw distinctions between Democrats and Republicans. Many of you who write letters, think I'm a, you know, a, a zealot Democrat. Democrats hate me because they don't think I'm a zealot enough Democrat. The Republicans don't like me because they think I'm a zealot Democrat. Well, I like what I'm doing, and I'm very happy to stand up for, for my uh, uh, principles. Um, by the way, my book, The Price of Principle, which I hope you will all get, if you're my viewer and listener, please, uh, get it on Amazon, and then write a review. It's now one of the best sellers on Amazon, um, uh, not only in, in various categories, but in, in general. And you can help me make it a bestseller if you um, uh, order it uh, and, and, and read it and do a review. I think you'll you'll enjoy it. And it's all about what's going on today. It's all about how partisanship Trump's principle and how people just don't care about the Constitution. Free speech for me, but not for thee. Free speech uh, applies only to people we support, not people we oppose. Due process for me, but not for thee. Constitutional criteria for for, uh, impeachment, oh no, it doesn't apply to Republicans. It only applies to Democrats. That's the price of principle. Just today, uh, I paid another price of principle. I was invited to go to a an engagement party by an old friend on, on Martha's Vineyard and, and we were planning to go and we got a letter this morning saying no. Um, too many people said that if you showed up because you defended Trump, if you showed up, uh, we wouldn't come. And so my wife and I were disinvited. Now, I don't care about that, being disinvited from a party, to do without that. But we've been disinvited from the library, from the community center, from our Jewish synagogue, uh, all because I defended President Trump in front of the of the Senate. And so um, the price of principle is very high. I have a thick skin, and so I did what I did. I made a choice to do what I did to defend President Trump. But my children didn't make that choice. My wife didn't make that choice. They were all against me doing it. And yet they have been made to pay this price as well. They have been disinvited. They have been shunned. They have been, you know, made pariahs on a place that we've come to for 50 years. People forget the reason I came here in the first place was to defend a famous Democrat named Ted Kennedy, um, who was accused of serious crimes for driving off the bridge and and killing Mary Jo Kopechny. I was one of the lawyers on that legal team. It was the first time I came to Martha's Vineyard. That was in 1969. I've now been here for, what, is it 53 years or something like that, but for the first time in my life, I'm paying a high price for my principles, for doing what I believe in. So the least you can do if you want to support me is is, is buy my book and review it. At least we'll be able to assert uh, principles, if not in the various places that have uh, canceled me, at least in my books. My 50th book, the reason I write books is because you can't cancel a book. Uh, I have the right to write this book, you have the right to read it, and no library can stop you. Now the library probably doesn't cover this book. The Chilmark Library probably doesn't um, lend any of my books uh, anymore. You know, if that happened in Texas, if a Texas library had said, we're not going to allow books to be sold or speakers to speak if you're um, um, pro-choice, Or if you're anti-racist, we're only going to allow racists and people who um, oppose abortion to speak. Civil libertarians would be up in arms. Liberals would be up in arms. But nobody is defending me because they don't like the client I represented. There's nobody on Martha's Vineyard that I know who, uh, certainly not in Chilmark, who approved of Donald Trump. I didn't approve of him. I voted against him. One of the reasons I'm so opposed to what's going on is I want to have the right to vote against him again. I want to vote against them again. I voted against them twice. I want to vote against them three times. I don't want some bureaucrat in the Justice Department telling me I can't vote against Donald Trump or you can't vote for him. That's the American way. The American way is you get to vote for somebody or you get to vote against them. We don't get bureaucrats telling us who should be the nominees and who shouldn't be the nominees. It was a a dictator in South America who once said, for my friends' everything, for my enemies, the law, the law. And that's what's happening now. The law is being applied, misapplied, unfairly applied to, uh, to Donald Trump, and it has to end. It has to end. We cannot allow a double standard of justice, one for Democrats, one for Republicans. And This comes from a, a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. I'm a liberal who doesn't want to see liberals and Democrats apply a double standard of law to Republicans who I vote against. I don't care whether I voted against them or for them. I want them to be treated fairly under the law. That's what the equal protection of the law stands for. That's what it means. And so whether you're a Democrat or Republican, a liberal or conservative, you should stand up against what happened yesterday. Now, maybe we'll find more. Maybe we'll find that, yeah, Trump actually did shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, as he once said, is a joke. And there's a photograph, a video uh, of him shooting the person on Fifth Avenue. All right. If you have that, then I'm okay with a, with a search. But a search for classified material, every president has taken some classified material away. They say, take it away to write their memoirs. They take it away because they want mementos. Um, and those who have been caught, like Berger, uh, got a fine, an administrative fine, not even a criminal fine, if I'm, if I'm correct. And, um, and Hillary Clinton, again, uh, she, she got no punishment for what appears to be at least as bad in terms of classified uh, material. So don't tolerate a double standard. And, and, and if you're a Republican or a right winger, don't say, oh, now I'm going to apply the double standard when we get in power. Two wrongs don't make a right. Two constitutional wrongs don't make a constitutional right. What you do is you demand equality and principle and morality and you don't prosecute uh, uh, Trump. You don't prosecute um, uh, people who are being prosecuted only because they're on the wrong side uh, politically. You don't support uh, Professor Lawrence Tribe's view. You know his attempt to try to get Garland to indict uh, President uh, Trump on charges of attempted murder, attempting to murder. Hence, if a law student ever wrote that in an exam for me i give them C with grade inflation, deserves a flunk. But the Tribe will do anything, and many others like him will do anything in their zealotry to get, to get Trump. They don't care if they trash the Constitution, they don't care if they trash equal protection of the laws, they don't care. They only want to get Trump. And there are people on the other side who think Trump can do no wrong. Some of you will probably write to me and say, oh, he didn't do anything wrong. He never does anything wrong. He's a great president. The speech on December, on January 6th was a wonderful speech. No, I think the vast majority of Americans are in the middle. Um, they don't uh, adopt the extreme views that Trump can do nothing right or Trump can do nothing wrong. They adopt a nuanced view. Trump was a great president on the Middle East. He did wonderful things. Generally, in foreign policy, he was a very good president. Um, I don't like his positions on gay rights. I don't like his position on uh, choice. I don't like his position on the climate. I don't like his position on immigration. I don't like many of his positions. Um, But that doesn't deny that he did some good things. I like Biden. I think he's a good president. I think he's doing a nice job in um, bringing the country closer to the middle. I think he's been a relatively moderate president. But I'm critical of a great many things. Uh, he's done, I'm certainly critical of a great many things that that uh, Merrick Garland has done, even though I supported Merrick Garland as a Supreme Court nominee and uh, thought he was and think he is a good person, you know in life, there's no such thing as a, an all good or an all bad uh, a person Abraham Lincoln had some very negative views on on race uh, Nelson Mandela was a a, a terrorist as a, a young man, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. Fyodor Dostoevsky was a virulent anti-Semite. You know, uh, uh, Rodin uh, uh, was a sexist. Uh, There are no such things as perfect people. And when I vote for president, I don't necessarily vote for the best person. I sometimes vote for the least worst person. And I'm I'm looking to see, I always vote. I've never not voted. Uh, Sometimes I've had a problem with that Um, um, because I didn't like either candidate, but I picked the the least worst problem, my friend Barney Frank used to always say when people criticize something he did, uh, he would say, compared to what? Compared to what? What's the alternative? If the two alternatives are pretty bad and very bad, I'm going to pick pretty bad. Look, maybe that's because I'm a criminal lawyer. And as a criminal lawyer, although I've been very fortunate, I've had more victories, I think, than any, any private criminal lawyer in history. Um, um, but uh, you still lose a lot. And when you're representing somebody... Often the choices, particularly if they're guilty, are they're never good. There's never good. There's always it starts with bad. Bad is the best. It's bad, worse, worser, worstest, and then the death penalty. And if you could save them from the death penalty and get worser, or if you can save them from worstest and get up to bad, you're doing a great job. And so I'm used to having choices that are not do not include great, good, excellent, um, but start with bad and go down from there. I think too few Americans understand that, and, 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 and too few Americans understand that you have to make choices in life. And those choices between candidates or among candidates are not always going to be the best choices that you would like to have. And you still have to vote. The same thing on legislation. Um, members of Congress don't often get to vote for great pieces of legislation. Yeah, I think that uh, uh, Obamacare, medical care was a great piece of legislation. You've heard me say this before. Obama was a very good domestic president and probably the worst foreign policy president in modern history. So I divide people that, that way. Um, and, and I have to make a decision who I vote for and who I don't vote for. That's not the decision I ever make. When I represent people. I don't care whether they're good or bad. I will represent them if I think there's a legitimate legal issue that involves the Constitution or involves civil liberties or involves civil rights. Those are my criteria for defending people, not whether I agree with them or disagree with them. I didn't agree with President Trump, but his first impeachment was clearly unconstitutional. The Constitution requires treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors and they impeached him for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. That's not included in the Constitution. The framers didn't include that, and that shouldn't be a basis for uh, impeachment. That's why I went on the floor of the Senate and made the argument I made on his behalf. That's why I'm suing CNN, who said, I didn't say that. I said a president can do anything, even criminal. Well, if you heard my speech, you see. I said exactly the opposite, and so I am suing uh, CNN, and and I hope not only for my benefit, but for the benefit of uh, uh, America in general, that uh, CNN is held responsible for its, uh, what I believe are malicious and and deliberate lies. Okay, speaking of free speech, let's turn to many of the letters. Remember yesterday was about Alex Jones, and so a lot of the letters are about that. Um, Okay, does First Amendment protect Alice Jones's fake news? Well, the answer to that is, yes, it does. If it's fake news, the First Amendment does protect it. If it's fake news that defames a particular individual who was not a public figure, then the First Amendment doesn't protect it. It should, since it apparently protects all the lies coming from the White House on a daily basis. Yeah, it protects all the lies from this White House, the past White House, the White House, before that, CNN, MSNBC, and the rest of the propaganda media knowingly lie on a daily basis. I agree with that. And the First Amendment protects that. Uh, but globalists don't care, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then another one, except that Alex Jones is not fake news. The fake news is the garbage spewing from television. Or, oh, here's a good one. Does the First Amendment protect me when I call you a pedophile? No, it doesn't. And I have already successfully sued two people who have called me that, you may be next. I can tell you right now, anybody who calls me a pedophile or call or says that I had sex with um, any of my accusers, um, watch your mail because you may be getting a subpoena and a summons. I'm not worried about suing you. It's probably not worth it for most of you, but if any of you have a few bucks, I think there are some good charities that would like it. So If you want to take a risk of of lying about me and calling me something I'm not, again, let me be very clear. Never had sex with anybody during the relevant period, except my wife. Never had sex with anybody related to Epstein. Never had sex with anybody who was an underage person. Never was on the island with any uh, young people or underage people. Never was in an airplane with any young people or underage people. I am totally, completely, absolutely, categorically innocent. And if you say otherwise, I may sue you because you have no First Amendment right to defame me. I'm a public figure, but you have malice. You know it. These letters that I get every day are filled with malice, calling me the worst things, uh, particularly focusing on my, my Jewishness. And, um, and uh, no, uh, I, I have no hesitation. Consistent with the First Amendment in suing you. So if you call me that, be careful. Okay. The man has a guard given, this is about uh, Jones. The man has a guard given right to believe to believe whatever he chooses to believe and to share his belief with others. That's the question, share his belief. If you believe I'm a pedophile or that the, the young boys in, uh, in uh, Sandy Hook uh, were not really killed, they were faking, they're still alive, and the parents conspired with the media to create a false image, no, you, you can't say that. Uh, you can create fake news, but you can't direct the fake news at particular people who are alive. Um, um, Even if he was wrong, it's not ground to make him pay $50 million for asking questions. He didn't ask questions. He categorically stated things that were demonstrably false against people who weren't public figures, people who lost a child, people who went through horrible, horrible tragedies. I just ask any of you who love your children, if, God forbid, anything like that ever happened to a child, how would you feel if somebody said, the child is still alive, they, they made a movie of it, they're hiding him, he's... Um, you know, the Palestinians have done that over and over again in Hamas. They have claimed the death of people. And then there's video showing that as soon as the camera goes off, the guy gets off the stretcher and walks away. Or most recently, where Palestinians, the... the, the um, uh, the uh, Islamic Jihad claimed that an Israeli rocket killed six uh, children. And then Israel produced the videotape showing that the rocket that killed the six children was fired from Islamic Jihad. It went up and then it failed and it went down, hit the uh, refugee camp and killed the six kids. And yet uh, Islamic Jihad still claims that um, uh, an Israeli rocket that Israel was able to prove that it did not attack that camp. It did not ascend any rockets there. And then it showed the videotape proving who had done the actual killing. So yeah, $50 million, maybe that's too much, but 4 million plus a few million in punitive damages, that might be about right for what he did and what he said about innocent children who uh, suffered needlessly from um, a horrible uh, gun gun tragedy, a preventable gun tragedy. Look, he's entitled to say, everybody should have guns. And I'm entitled to say, no, uh, people who have a history or a record don't have guns. That's a debate. That's a debate. He's entitled to say that Sandy Hook was caused because there weren't enough guns in the school. And I'm entitled to say Sandy Hook was caused because there are too many guns in in America. That's a debate. But the line that the First Amendment draws and has drawn since the beginning of of time, uh, the John Peter Zenger case, the Uh, writings of Thomas Jefferson and Madison, all draw that line between free speech and defamatory speech. And the Supreme Court has modified that by saying that to prove defamation, um, a public figure has to not only prove that he was defamed by negligence, he has to prove that he was defamed by a reckless disregard for the truth, which is translated into meaning malice. So, that's the letters uh, for uh, today. I'd be interested in what you think of my analysis of um, why, of why the Justice Department went by way of search warrant rather than subpoena. I hope I was clear enough. I hope you understand it. When I taught that in class, there were a lot of students who didn't understand it. So if you understand it, then you probably have something over at least some Harvard Law School students. See you tomorrow.